That's what I want to talk about this morning, building a hedge of protection. And I want to show you how to do that because a lot of people think that if they just want it to happen, it'll happen. No, it's like everything else. You have to build it. And if you don't build it, it won't happen. And you can't just say, Lord, protect my family and think that you've built a hedge of protection. That's not how hedges of protection are built. They are built in a very particular way. And I'm going to show you the four steps to building a hedge of protection. You're going to want to write these down because it's uh, insightful. But not only that, it's very practical. And you need to start doing the things that we're going to talk about this morning. If you want your family safe, you need to start doing what we're going to talk about this morning. If you want your life and your ministry safe, this is instruction. It's not just preaching. It's instruction. It's something that in the time and the climate we live in, it is more important than ever before to know how to build a hedge. Of course, if we're going to talk about building a hedge of protection, we have to go to the book of Job, right? So Job 1.10 is where the hedge of protection is referenced. You can always remember that because every time you plug into a 110 outlet, you're plugging into power. When you plug into Job 1.10, you're plugging into power. So hopefully you can remember where that scripture is found. Just every time you plug in your blow dryer or your razor or whatever you plug in, uh, you just remember that's Job 1.10 and that'll get you in the right neighborhood. I'm going to start with Job chapter one, beginning in verse one, and I'm going to read you a few verses of scripture. There was a man in the land of Uz, the, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Now that may sound like he was a farmer, but he was also a great businessman. A camel was like a Cadillac in his day. So you could say he had 3,000 Camelacs if you want to, because this man was uh, a high roller. He was very wealthy. As a matter of fact, no one was greater than him in all the land. Verse three, also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 or 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Now, 500 yoke of auction mean that he had 1,000 ox, right? That's a yoke. You have to put two on the yoke. So he had 1,000. And if you have 1,000 ox, think about how many fields you're plowing with 1,000 yoke of oxen. So that just gives you a, an idea, a context of where he's at. And he had 500 female donkeys. That means if they had, he didn't even mention the male donkeys. He had 500 breeding donkeys, which means he probably had thousands more and very large households so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send, and here's the first thing you got to look at, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. The first thing he would do is sanctify them. He would send and sanctify them, and then he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. So these are the two things that he did. He sanctified them. The second thing he did is that he got up early before they got up, and he worshiped. In, in, on their behalf, okay? He wanted to bring God into their life. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God with their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He didn't do it one time. He didn't do it once a month. He did it all the time. 
He did this regularly. So Satan answered the Lord, verse 9, and said, uh, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Now listen how far extending this hedge went. Around his household, around all that he has on every side. So there was like a fence around his property. And you have blessed the work of his hand. So if Job touched something, it got blessed. Would you like for God to bless everything you touch? I mean, if you write a check, it gets blessed. If you take out the garbage, even the garbage man gets blessed. I mean, whatever you do, you go on a trip, you stay in a hotel, the hotel gets blessed. So it was like an entourage of favor that went with him. And everywhere he went, everything around him got blessed. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So every Job was living in Deuteronomy 28 before Deuteronomy 28 was ever written. He was the lender, not the borrower, the head, not the tail. He was above and not beneath. He was living in that, and that hadn't even been written yet because Job is the oldest manuscript in the Bible. And so because of that, Job's story was preceding all the promises that we've understood later. So I'm going to show you in the next few moments how to build a hedge of protection around your family and your life. The first thing you need to know is that Job sanctified his family. Now, I'm going to give you this in a moment, but let me just go ahead and set you up just a little bit. You may hear me repeat this a little bit later on. But the book of Job is the oldest manuscript in the Bible. It happened right after the flood of Noah, a couple of generations later. So us is Noah's great grandson. He is the son of Shem, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, who were the three sons of Noah who came off the ark. Sons, uh, the, uh, the, the grandson of Shem is Uz. Uz built the city of Uz. Job lived in the city of Uz. So this is a story back in the book of Genesis, okay? But it was given to them before Genesis was ever written, and I'll tell you that story later. So Genesis had not been written, neither had Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, none of the Bible had been written, but this story, this old manuscript, was handed down about the story of Job even before we received the book of Exodus, which had to be lived out, and even the book of Genesis, which God wrote with his on finger and gave to Moses as a gift. So that's how we got Genesis. See, none of, when Moses got Genesis, uh, Je, that was 2,000 years before Moses. So Moses didn't know any of those people. Moses never met Noah. He never met Abraham. So Moses gives us the book of Genesis because God gives Moses, the book of Genesis, as a gift, he writes it down. That story's found in, in Exodus 33 and 34. You know what? I might as well go ahead and tell you, right? So here's how we got Genesis. So Moses is going before God, asking him about the future. He says, who's going to be my successor? And will the children of Israel ever get into the promised land? And he says, well, well what do you want me to do? He says, well, show me your glory. Now, show me your glory to him does not mean that I want you to show me glory. He had already seen the, the, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. He had already seen manna fall from heaven. He had already had dinner with God on a sapphire floor on Mount Sinai. I mean, he's not asking to see a light. He's not asking to see another cloud. He's been in the Holy of Holies when they when the tabernacle came and the glory of God came into the tabernacle. Moses has seen lots of that type of glory. He's not asking that. He's seeking the face of God. He's saying, God, show me the future. Show me your glory when he said that in Hebrew means show me what you're about to do. Show me the glory 
glory of what's in front of you. He was asking about the future. Who's my successor? And, and will the children of Israel ever get in the promised land? The Lord said, well, you know what? You're not going to live to see me. That's where we misinterpret that. When we say no man can see God and live, what he was going to say is, you want me to show you the future even though you're not going to live in it? And he was asking him a question. Well, yeah, I want to see it even though I'm not going to live in it because no man can see what's in front of me unless they live to see it. And so that's what's going on in this conversation. And the Lord said, well, I'll tell you what, there's a place by me. I, instead of me showing you the future, let me show you how great I am. And when I show you what's behind me, you'll know that what's in front of me is just as good, even though you won't be able to see it. So he said, there's a place by me in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you and my glory is going to pass by. I'm going to remove my, I'm going to remove my hand and let you see what's behind me. Not my hinder parts. We think that's a shoulder blade. We think that's a spinal cord. No, no, no. It's everything God has done before Moses' time. God said, I'm going to show you. So God takes, he says, give me these tablets and I'll write it down so you won't forget it. But I'm not just going to write it down. I'm going to let you see it. So he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and removed his hand. This is Exodus 33 and 34. He removes his hand. And when he opened, when he removed his hand, Moses opened up his eyes and he saw in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. He saw the story of Genesis, but because he wouldn't forget it, God wrote it all down with his finger and gave it to him on a tablet. And God was the author and finisher of the book of Genesis. That's why it's the most divine book in the Bible because no man inscribed it. It was given to Moses because all of that had happened 2,000 years before Moses' life. And so the book of Genesis is highly prophetic because of that. So keep in mind, this is where we are. So the book of Job happens in the book of Genesis. Only, we only know that because of the land of us. All right, now I took a long time to, to build that up, so I gotta make up for my time now, all right? So the first thing he did is he sanctified them. How do you sanctify your family? Notice this, he called them to his house and sanctified them. Now there's two ways in the Old Testament to sanctify something. The first thing you do is you speak over it. So you cannot, you cannot just pray to God and sanctify your family. You have to speak over your family to sanctify them. If you want your family to be blessed, you have to open up your mouth and let them hear you say it. You cannot just say, you, you cannot just say, God bless my family. No, you've got to call them to the house, sit them down in the living room and say, you are blessed. You are highly favored of the most high God. The blessing of the Lord is upon you. When you go through the waters, he's going to be with you. And in the desert, he's going to be with you. You need to get out, do Deuteronomy 28 and bless them with it. You're the lender, not the bar, above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. If you go into the city, you're blessed. If you go in the country, you're blessed. You can walk in the kitchen and you're blessed because even your kneading bowl is blessed in Deuteronomy 28. Whatever you put your hands to is blessed. The favor of the Lord is upon you. So the first way that you bless your family is you speak over them. The second way you bless your family is you pour oil on them because because that is the way that people got sanctified. That's the, that's the method that God chose in the Old Testament to sanctify land, to sanctify furniture, to sanctify houses, to even, even when somebody got leprosy, they had to put oil in their house just to sanctify the house. And so I don't know if you've done this yet, but you need to get 
you a bottle of oil and you need an oily house. You need to be living in a greasy house, an oily house. If y'all, you've got some Wesson oil in the kitchen, you need to go in your kitchen and get out that Wesson oil. If you got to run every doubter out of the room like Jesus did when he raised up Jairus' daughter, if you got to run every skeptic out of the house, if you got a son or daughter that don't believe, send them to the mall. Give them some money and when they leave, you get out that Wesson oil or that Crisco and you walk up to the front door and you put the sign of the cross and you say everybody that walks in here is blessed. Everybody that walks out of here is blessed. You go to their bedroom. They may be sleeping in a bedroom hiding things you don't know they're hiding. But I want to tell you, Satan can't curse what God is blessed. And when you begin to put a blessing on there, you stick you a you stick you an anointed cloth under that mattress and you put the sign of the cross on the front of that door and I promise you whatever is going on in that room will get convicted. Whatever is going on in that room will get interrupted or God will reveal to you the things that are hidden in your house when you sanctify your house. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. My children growing up wanted to ride the bus, and I wouldn't let them ride the bus. It's nothing wrong with the bus. I love the bus, but I wanted to take them to school. And so their whole life, I took them to school before I went to the office, and they hated it. Because the reason they hate it is because what happened? I would take them, my little girls from the time they were in kindergarten and I would put oil on their head. They had to go to school with oily heads. Every day I put oil on their head and I would get them in the back of my and the back of my car and I would say, I would pray over Brittany and Lindsay. I have two daughters and five granddaughters. I'm the king of estrogen. If you're wondering who that is, it's me. And so I am, I have my two daughters, I put them in the back seat and I would pray all the way to school. I'd say things like, God, take every voice out of their head that they don't need to hear. I would say, Lord, remove every friend from their life that they don't need in their life. Put the right people in. Take the wrong people out. One day, my daughter Lindsay said, Dad, would you quit praying that? I'm tired of sitting by myself at the lunch table. I said, Honey, I'd rather you sit by yourself than sit with the wrong crowd. I'm just going to pray the right ones in. And I just started praying the right friends into her life every day right up to high school on into college they knew when dad came around there was a vial of oil in my hand and I was going to bless them you say well did it work well they both married pastors so maybe it did I don't know but they're both in full time ministry today and my five little granddaughters can preach as good as their daddies can so I'm telling you something has worked and I believe it's because I built a hedge around them I put the oil upon them I put the oil in my house when I leave to go on a trip I get out the oil right now my redhead is not with me that's my wife Faith she's not with me on this trip but you know what I did before I left I thought I was going to the airport my flight got canceled and 
and I had to drive here. But you know what I did when I left my house at 4.15 on, on Friday morning? I went to go to the airport. My redhead come to hug me, and I, got a, I laid my hands upon her, and I prayed for her. And I do that over and over and over. If I see that my wife's upset about something, she knows I'm coming, and I'm coming with the oil. She will stand there in my house, just the two of us together. She'll stand in my house, and I'll put the cross on her head, and I'll pray. I'll speak in tongues. She'll speak in tongues, and the glory will fall. You don't have to have a praise team to be sanctified. You don't have to have a preacher in the pulpit to be sanctified. You want a sanctified house? Start speaking over your house, and start anointing your house with oil. The first thing he did is he had to, he had to sanctify them. Here's the second thing that Job did because he knew it would work. The second thing he did was he did this long before the institution of worship was ever established. Now, the only way Job could, Job could worship in the Old Testament, we learned this from the story of Cain and Abel, is you have to offer God something, right? Because there's no songs, there's no church, there's no instruments. None of that existed yet. So there is, there's nothing like that. If you, want, if you want to praise, if you want to worship God, you have to invite him to a barbecue. So you just have to take the animal and put it on the fire. And God says, okay, I'll smell the smoke. You eat the meat. That means you're sanctified because I'll make it holy. And then I'll smell the smoke and we'll call it praise. And that's all they had. So he would go and take all the sheep and sacrifice one for this son and son number two, son number three, then on down to his daughters. And he would worship in the house. If you want your, your house to be protected, if you want your family to be protected, if you want your money to be protected, if you want the things around you, you need to rise up early and worship before you start your day. Don't tell me you don't have time to worship. If you've got time to go to the gym, you've got time to worship. Don't tell me you don't have time to worship. If you've got time to get up and look at Facebook, you've got time to worship. If you've got time to get up and read the newspaper, you've got time to worship. If you've got time to get up and watch the morning news, you've got time to worship. If you've got time to get up and listen to a podcast, then you've got time to worship don't tell me you don't have time to worship no the worship the morning worship is the most important thing you will ever do Adam walked with God in the cool of the day look at the math morning and evening is when you pray that's when God established prayer and that's why even the Hebrew priests to this day they make a sacrifice in the morning and they make a sacrifice in the evening because God loves the cool of the day and so if you want to if you want a house that is blessed you need to understand that worship is more than you just singing your favorite songs and getting your shout on. There's a lot more to worship than that. Oh, no. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth had some of the greatest miracles of any, any person we've ever known. He was, a, he was a very staunch Englishman. Even his family said that when he come to the breakfast table, he was already dressed in a suit and tie. They never saw him dressed any other way. If you see any pictures of him, he was a very astute Englishman and very well spoken, but what most people didn't know about him until you read his autobiography is that's not what he looked like when he first got up. No, Smith Wigglesworth 
got out of bed and danced before the Lord for 15 minutes every single morning before he did anything else. This old staunch Englishman knew that if I can come before the Lord and worship him and get God on my side, and so for 15 minutes, he would dance in his bedroom before the Lord and give God the first 15 minutes of the day. I know why he did 15 minutes, and I can't, t- I can't explain it, but I'll tell you this, and, I'll, and you'll know it's true when you try it. If you will speak in tongues for, for 15 minutes, when the clock turns over to the 16th minute, your prayer language will change into a new language. It's the truth. And I can prove it to you scripturally, but I don't have time to this morning. But if you pray in your prayer language and and, and you pray for 15 minutes in the prayer language you have, when it comes over, well, let me, I'll just, I'll give you, I know I'm leaving you with this big question mark. It has to do with the Hebrew language. It has to do with the values of numbers and the values. It's called gematria. So gematria is that every Hebrew letter has a value and 15 is is the significant point that when you've gone through all of the all of the Hebrew words so when you speak in tongues if you will speak in tongues for 15 minutes I mean you you call me when that happens you email me because I know it's going to happen it's just that some people can't hold out for 15 minutes but you pre you you think it's oh that's easy no you look at the clock it feels like forever but when you do 15 minutes in your prayer language you will get a new prayer language when you finish. I remember when one of our distinguished uh, 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 colleagues here in the church of God years ago, he was uh, on his deathbed and, and they went and they, and I'm trying to trying to remember his last name. My goodness, uh, Robert. Um, um, oh my goodness. He was over the spirit care. Fisher, thank you so much. He was on our executive committee. Brother Robert Fisher, on his deathbed, they went to him, and he had been sick. And they said, Brother Fisher, we're so sorry that you're sick and you're dying. He said, oh, don't feel sorry for me. He said, I'm up to seven languages now. I'm laying here on my deathbed, but I'm praying in seven languages every day. This legacy is going to go on long after I do because he knew the secret to that. If you want to if you want to worship God, and can I tell you something else? Every now and then you need to get on your knees because that's the only form of Hebrew worship that existed in the Old Testament. It's called it's called Saha. Saha means to bend your head below your heart. So if you're worshiping in Hebrew, if you ever go to the Welling Wall and you see people praying, this is how they pray. You know why they pray like that? Because they understand in Hebrew that you got to get your intellect out of the way. You got to you got to forget about who's watching you and who's looking and how undignified you look and how everybody's going to make fun of you because you don't have a good dance and you don't have a good praise. So you have to put your head below your heart. So, so sometimes you need to remember there's a king in the house and the only one that needs to be standing is the king. And you need to, you need to bow in his presence, come before his presence. That was the most common form of worship in the whole Old Testament as they would come before the Lord. And you know why that is? Because when you begin to worship, you get the key of David in your hand because the key of David is the, is the key of worship. And you know what the Bible says that the key of David will do in Isaiah 22 22, the key of the house of David.
David, I will lay on his shoulder so that he will open and no one can shut and he can shut and nobody can open. Do you know what you're doing when you start worshiping? You are locking portals and opening portals. These are not doors of your house. These are doors in the spirit realm. And if you have a nightmares, then you need to start worshiping before you go to bed because you know what's going to happen? You just lock the door. The same thing you did in your house, you can do in the spirit realm because when the key of David is in your hand, you will shut doors that no man can open and you will open doors that no man can shut in the spirit realm. I don't have time to talk to you about portals and windows, but portals and windows, that's why God uses language like that. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. But there are portals that get opened up in your house through the internet because Satan is the prince and power of the air. There are portals that get opened in your house from your TV, from your radio, things that shouldn't be in a Christian house. You see, when you build a hedge, you need to understand something. It not only keeps things out, it keeps you in. And when you keep opening the door to the devil, and when you keep allowing God's name in vain to be used on your TV set, you are opening up. I want to tell you something. Nobody is going to talk about my father like that. I don't care who they are and how deep I am into that movie and how much I want to see how the plot ends. You're not going to remember it two days later anyway. You know that. That's what amuse means. Not think. Ah, not muse think. That's all. That's why we watch TV because it shuts our brain down and we don't have to think. So you're not going to remember. Why would you sit there and let somebody cuss your father and call him name? Why would you let somebody use your father's name in vain and you've just opened up portals to demons? But when you worship and you exalt him and lift him up the way he needs to be lifted up, you've just locked the door and you said, Satan, you can't come any closer. You cannot invade my sleep. You cannot invade the nightmares of my children. You cannot come into this house. This is a sanctified house. This is a holy house. This is a sanctuary of the Most High God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. See, when you build a hedge, it's around your family, but that hedge keeps you in as much as it keeps everyone else out. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.